When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I don't know what to expect, but I enjoyed it. It's really well written and it's, it, it hangs together beautifully and the harmonies are lovely. I was genuinely surprised at how, how good it was. I wasn't expecting <laughs> to, to like it that much. If you get chills or if, if it works at any point, then the whole musical works. So I have to regard this as a success. I completely okay. agree. I, I, you actually said at the very beginning, you're like, if a musical can give you those like hair-raising moments, then you feel like it's been a success. And I, I literally, when the credits were rolling and you kind of see, you know, you see the real life uh, Larson and stuff, I was just like buzzing, you know? I was genuinely buzzing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Flix Watcher. Here today, we have Joe. Hello. Ben. Yo. And Kobe. Tick boom. Sorry. And yes, we are here today talking about Tick Tick Boom. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Thanks for listening. We have... Ben and Joe in our Flixwatcher studio remotely today. If you could please say hello to our listeners or tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Yeah, hi, I'm Ben. Uh, I'm from the Third Window Films podcast. And yeah, we basically talk about East Asian cinema um, from the perspective of the fan being me and the man being my podcasting partner, Adam Terrell, who is the founder and CEO of Third Window Films production and distribution label. So when you say production, do they... Did they actually make the films from scratch or is it um, you're making it and packaging it for, for people in Cambridge like yourself? <laughs> for people in Cambridge <laughs> exclusively. Uh, no, he, he's a distributor, um, but he has produced films as well. So he, he works closely with a lot of directors um, and builds relationships with them and, you know, eventually he ends up producing. Uh, I will tell you that he tells stories on the podcast quite frequently where he kind of alludes to the fact that producing is the most stressful thing he's ever done in his life. <laughs> And uh, unless you love it with the passion of a thousand sons, that not to go near it with a barge pole. <laughs> I think, uh, um, yeah, I can do executive producing because you just have your name on it and you kind of go, <laughs> that's what Steven Spielberg does nowadays, apart from <laughs> West Side Story, which we might lean into a bit in this episode. Sure. Uh, but yeah, producing sounds like a massive um, drain on everyone's will. Joe, who are you? Hello, my name is Joe. I'm uh, podcasting from my music room in Ireland. Um, 
I um, formerly used to have a podcast with a friend of the show, Dave Corkery, who you can find Mm -hmm. at The Cinemile. He has an excellent podcast called The Cinemile. And I met these great people, Helen and Kobe, uh, when The Cinemile won Best New Podcast at the British Podcast Awards, at the inaugural British Uh, Podcast Awards, no less. Absolutely. And you came on and you um, recorded an episode of Flix Watcher. It was Ex Machina. Ex Machina, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that, yeah. that was really enjoyable. And I, I still love that film and I still recommend the hell out of it. <laughs> and we, we were face to face then. It was so long ago when that I was know, a, yeah. that was the thing. Uh, I remember it fondly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I no longer podcast. So I'm, I'm here to big up the wire stripped as that's the, <laughs> the only output that I have in the in the podcasting world these days. So um, yeah. If, well, that's head, a good one. Head over there. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you're not partisan in any way. You wouldn't say that it was good if it wasn't good, but it is good uh, because they get to interview all of the stars of, of The Wire, as many as will come on the show and uh, and the likes of me who will just shite on endlessly about <laughs> about The Wire to anyone who listens. As, as an exclusive today, we just, um, we just secured a, a key cast member and that is the guy that Snoop buys the drill from <laughs> at the start of episode four. At start of season four. Amazing. <laughs> anyway, that's aside. We're here talking today about Tick Tick Boom, which is your choice, uh, Joe. So can you tell us why you chose it and then give us a synopsis in less than 60 seconds and I'll get the timer ready. Sure. Um, I am not sure that I did choose this. I think it chose me more than anything. Um, I, I think it was, uh, I'd heard obviously the buzz about Andrew Garfield and I knew I was probably going to watch this. So when this opportunity came up, I said, you know, maybe I put it to the group and if, if this is suitable for people, it certainly plays into my interests. Definitely not a musical theatre person, but music, certainly theatre, less so, mm-hmm. and movies for sure. So I think it ticks a lot of boxes. It it tick ticks a lot of boxes. For, for See me. what you did there. Very good. <laughs> so uh, if I if, if you want a synopsis of the film, I can launch into that. Yeah, one second. And go. You're just going to read the IMDb synopsis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to attempt one on the fly. So Tick, Tick, Boom is the story of Jonathan Larson, acclaimed Broadway uh, composer. Uh, He's most famous for Rent, but we join him on the eve of his 30th birthday, or at least the week leading up to it. And uh, he's attempting to complete his first musical. And so while he's doing this, the world around him is crumbling. His relationships are falling apart. His his home situation is in trouble. And he's trying to finish this musical that he's supposedly been working on for eight years. It's still incomplete a week to go. So the time is ticking in, in every sense. So just to sum up, this is a musical film about a musical written <laughs> by... Uh, it's, it's a musical film about a musical about a guy writing a musical about himself. Fair play. You have two <laughs> seconds left and here comes the buzzer. There we go. Just to prove it. Ooh. Well done. I think musicals seem to be very, very contentious. I don't know, genres to recommend to people, but I mean, Joe, going back to yourself, you said you're not a musical person. So <laughs> No, I mean, I, this is the kind of film I wouldn't touch um, <laughs> like ordinarily at all. So I, I'm delighted that I had a reason to kind of to delve into it and to, to enjoy it and analyze it. Um, I suppose what works for me typically is to listen to the music in isolation. So mm. like for me, if, if a musical is to work, the songs have to work. Um, but like everything else to me is secondary. The, the production, the, the um, performances, everything else is 
you know, playing second fiddle to the music. Um, and if, if that can make your hair stand on end or if it can make you weep or jump for joy, then a musical has done its job. Otherwise, it's, it's a failure. I think like because obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda directed this, we're going to have comparisons with some of his other work, mm-hmm. um, particularly Hamilton, which when I, I listened to the cast recording, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was excellent. And then when I watched the recording of it, for some reason, my imagination had constructed something a little bit bigger and wider in scope. So when it was in a theater setting, it seemed like it was constrained. Mm. Um, so like, I'm not criticizing the musical at all. The music is great, but I'm saying... It sounds like you are slightly. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, I think we've got Hamilton's biggest fan in, in haven't we, in Kobe. I think you're yeah, definitely ha- Hamilton's biggest fan that I know. Yeah, I've seen it like four times. We're going to see it, we're going to see it for the fifth time before lockdown happened um, eighteen months ago. So yeah, Hamilton right here. But you know, I can I can accept criticism. Well, um, I, 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 I'm not criticizing the music at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what you're saying because you, you, the music stands on its own, and that's what um, yeah, that's what resonates for you with with musicals. Ben, where, where do you sit on musicals? Yeah, I, I wouldn't consider myself a fan particularly, but. Um, yeah, I think like as a, a kid, I might have seen Cats. <laughs> well, that's like, why you're not a fan. Phantom of the Opera, maybe. <laughs> I think I think maybe I just saw a bunch of uh, yeah stuff like that. But um, and in later life, I saw I took my partner to see Wicked mm-hmm. one year for a birthday. I saw a Book of Mormon that I really liked. But yeah, like I'm not a real fan. Like I said, I had never seen Rent. I hadn't seen the film or the stage show. Um, but I loved Hamilton. Although again, I've only seen the recorded. Um, you know, the Disney Plus production. Mm. Um, but I was a big fan of Moana as well, even his little stint in uh, Mary Poppins Returns. <laughs> so I was, I was definitely interested to see, you know, Lin-Manuel's directorial debut, uh, kind of trepidatiously to see how he does it. But do you know what? I won't bury the lead. I, I was actually really pleasantly surprised with this. I thought it was it was great. Helen, before I go to you, Joe, every time I think of La La Land... Um, every time I watch La La Land, I think of you because you've got one of those kitas. Um, <laughs> and Helen was notoriously angry with La La Land when it was came, when it came into the Flixwater studio. But uh, you know, over to you, Helen. I honestly really don't know where I stand on musicals because I wouldn't say that I grew up on them, but I did grow up in Disney. So, mm. which I, you know, The Little Mermaid, The Lion King are all, you know, excellent. The Jungle Book, all of those are excellent with excellent songs and then I've never really been to the theatre as such to see musicals so my musicals tend to come from film versions and I think where they're they're kind of like not necessarily just a filmed version of the musical I've enjoyed them like I love Moulin Rouge I know a lot of people hate it but I love that and I can listen to the soundtrack and this year I saw Annette and I was listening to the soundtrack to that the other day and I think I possibly maybe enjoyed the soundtrack more than I did the film because the film is quite mad. Um, So (laughs) I don't really know. I'm definitely not sure about musical theatre. I think that's maybe where (laughs) I slightly draw the line. Um, But yeah, I was happy you picked it because I was very curious about what it was and there's obviously a lot of buzz about Andrew Garfield's performance. However, it was one of those that became apparent after a very short run that it was not for me. 
and I did struggle a bit with it. So over to you, Kobe. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know what to expect, but I I think the first thing to say is that it is kind of, as Joe kind of talked about in the intro, it's, it's quite meta. So it's him, the whole kind of premise is it's his life, but then he's narrating the Tick, Tick, Boom story is him talking about his life talking about writing uh, I can't remember the name of the, of the musical um, Superbia su- su- Superbia yeah so it's him writing the musical about him writing suburb- Superbia and then also living the life which then goes into feed into rent later on so it's kind of working on a few different levels and um, I, I think I can I can see where it kind of cuts a lot of people off because when it starts off as a one tip to boom is supposed to be a one man show just him and the piano but then it's set like with um in this context, it's set with the grand piano and a couple of singers and a, you know, a, a, um, a rock band setup, And that's kind of different to what you see when you're walking out, when he's kind of walking down the streets and singing and interacting with his girlfriend and singing that. And when it's, when his girlfriend's singing in the, in the, in the real world, it's then matched with someone else who's singing, Vanessa Hudgens is singing sometimes. So it kind of is a bit confusing and jarring, but also I was like, I really, I really kind of like what's going on here. It's a, uh, not something I've seen before. It's kind of strip. I really, I really like the strip by nature of the tip tip boom performance on the stage and the people just sat there in like an off Broadway kind of scenario. And I also like the interactions with him and his friends in the backdrop of HIV AIDS in that kind of time in New York, which obviously feeds into what happens with, with rent going on. So I was, I was kind of, I enjoyed it and admired it. And then I went away and did a lot of research and like found Jonathan Larson videos on YouTube to see what he was like and to see how this then led into his one big hit, which he never saw, which is super, super tragic. Has anyone seen Rent? No, no, no. So uh, I listened to a couple of the tracks in preparation for this. And I have to say mm. Rent is not for me, but I, I, I will credit Jonathan Larson with being the, the reason most people know how many minutes are in a year is, <laughs> is because, uh, because of one of his songs is it's, uh, you know, You've forgotten already, haven't you? I've forgotten you? already, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know either. Um, 525,600 minutes. I think that sounds about right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is a, a really unusual story that uh, he he put out, you know, one essentially big, big musical, like a, an absolute blockbuster. And uh, mm. he, he tragically died just randomly of an aneurysm immediately before. So it's it's a very strange story. But as, as a musical... It's it's a very weird choice as well to pick one week in this guy's life, and like most musicals, you you take about a half hour of story and cram it into two and a half hours, <laughs> um, <laughs> because like you need need to leave room for the songs and leave leave room for things to breathe. Um, but I think like what it sets out to do to show you the the kind of the the pain and the 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 life of an artist and the life of composing and and creating something from nothing, like. It is, it's not unique in, in that, like a lot of other films go through that, like Whiplash is one where, you know, it's, it's all about mistreatment and, and all about like resilience uh, in, in the face of, of some horrible situations. Um, but, but that builds the genius. And similarly in Tick, Tick, Boom, like, I'm not sure I liked the Jonathan Larson character. I think he's an asshole, but, but he's an asshole who learned his lesson and put it into this impressive musical mm. like we're, we're watching him at his peak asshole stage where he's only interested in himself and he like destroys his relationship and ignores his friend and attempts to patch it up at the end but really 
it's it's all in service of this grander design, which is it, it's it's interesting to me that you would have your protagonist be so dislikable. I'm glad I'm glad you said that because that was the main reason for me. And I don't know whether he does learn in the end. <laughs> so you know, it took him eight years to kind of get there and listen to the advice. You know, he, he's got like Stephen Sondheim giving him advice, and he's just like just been given advice by this guy and you you don't take it and I think the film doesn't acknowledge maybe what you've just said it still kind of paints him possibly as being like amazing and great which if it had kind of presented him a bit more neutral or acknowledged that actually he's been an asshole (laughs) he's just like ditched all his friends he's been you know he'd he doesn't he's not respectful of people's time which is a big thing for me <laughs> and i think once i'd seen that i was like you know what i can just kind of find out what happens to him on wikipedia i don't need to watch <laughs> all of this isn't that quite common though in this sort of i wouldn't say this genre but like when you Sports see genius. geniuses p- portrayed in cinema they're often quite like dickish basically <laughs> you know you don't see a lot of geniuses that have a lot of time for other people and are very like generous and and yeah, I thought it was actually a really clever way of encapsulating his whole life by having him in the middle of basically performing his middle musical, where the first one didn't go anywhere and his third one went stellar, which he never mm. saw. But we get this middle moment where he kind of learns from the past, as Joe said, but also is writing about what he's experiencing that's going to eventually like be his legacy. I was genuinely surprised at how how good it was. I wasn't expecting to to like it that much. I really don't have a problem with unlikable protagonists, though. Like I I see it a lot in East Asian cinema. You know, you get a lot of cops or detectives or whatever, like uh, who are just complete and utter dicks, and they're the guys you're supposed to like follow for the film. And you know, I get used to that. So, yeah, I I I was surprised how much I liked it. Yeah, I mean the. The amount of times like I was like, just speak to her, just <laughs> five minutes, just five minutes. I know that's all you need. I know. So yeah, that, that kind of irritates me. I can so I can see that respect, not respecting other people's time. But yeah, I, he's a tortured genius character, which we've seen the kind of trope before, and you know he's kind of given that leeway because hey, he's going to go on to make rent, which none of us have seen, but everyone says everyone we understand is amazing. Um, we'll one day we'll watch it, but yeah, until that time, we uh, we have to only guess at how much of a genius he could have been. I have to say though, I did I did know his story. I did know that he died before Rent came out. And I assumed because Rent was based on the backgrounded by HIV AIDS, I thought he had passed away from HIV AIDS. Um, I did too. And so I was quite like, oh shit. So he just just got taken out. And I was like, fucking hell, this is, this is really weird. Um, did you so, ever see Team America World Police? <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, yeah, only once. <laughs> There is a song in that where I forget what the character's called, the name, the the lead actor, but he's in a he's in a musical and he does this big number, which is everyone has AIDS. And, oh yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's horribly problematic, but it's very catchy and very funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought he was gay, which was a big surprise for me watching this. So um... to write the start, you were like, hold on, <laughs> hang on. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is not the guy I'm thinking of. Oh, it is the guy I'm thinking of. Oh. I, I kind of, I, I, I felt the same. And I, I was wondering at what point does he leave his girlfriend for a man? I was, I was just waiting for it to happen. Um, mm. But, you know, that's probably speaking to my prejudices about musical theatre. And, and I, I found like I was, I was 
sort of thinking about someone that I went to school with who who he was like this prodigious piano player and composer who got a scholarship to to Berkeley um, College in, in the US. He went on to be mm. a, a musical director for In the Heights, for Avenue Q, for The Book of Mormon and for Hamilton. Uh, so he wow. he has worked with Lin-Manuel Miranda. <laughs> but I, I just I, I kept thinking of like having that gift and trying mm. to bring it to the world. And, you know, you're, you're just you're just one of thousands of people trying to make it in that business. And you're trying to, you know, you're struggling to put your brand out there and express yourself and constantly getting knocked back, which is why, like, when he gives the performance, he gives the demo and nobody's interested. (laughs) And the agent comes back and just gives him the wisdom of, yeah, you're a writer, right, keep going. Uh, Which is like, again, I think, uh, like like some other films and, and other films we've spoken of, um, the whole thing of everybody everybody just doing their best and and putting their best forward, like that's nearly the message out of it. It's it's like number one, listen to people and talk to people, otherwise you're an asshole. Uh, but but number two, <laughs> like just put it all out there, and if you get knocked down, pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and and go again because we only have a finite amount of time here you know, we're, we're only on this blue marble for, for a short length of time. Just like, you're going to regret it. Otherwise do it, do the thing. But I mean, there was the, I mean, cause his best friend, um, was doing a thing with him and then realized that Hulk on this isn't for me maybe. And then, you know, Jonathan Larson kind of berates him for, for a bit, for, <laughs> for, for making more money and, and getting a nice apartment and not, not living the, the tortured genius life. But it was just like, look, I, I'm not you. So I think there's, there is, there's definitely a track of people who are like, okay, you're either going to make it or you're just going to like explode into a million shards. And that was Jonathan Larson. He made it. But I think one thing I liked about this film was that it really gave that in, indication of the fact that there are many people trying to, it's almost running the mill for some people. Like, so his agent was just like, oh, he's just one of another one. Hey, maybe you'll make it sometime. Maybe you won't, but hey, I'm just, I'm just like the, a cog in the wheel that might make you successful. And for every one Jonathan Larson, like I said, there might be a thousand others that just are no way near making it or are still working in the Moonshine Cafe or still, you know, trying to get a one song that gets picked up or whatever. So it's, I think it's one of the best representations of like the struggle, the creative struggle. There's two, there's two parts, isn't there? There's like the, the, the fact that he spent eight years writing this musical and then they're like, your next one's going to be big. And he's like, wait, what? Mm. And he like, so his, the start of his career is his difficult second album, you know, and how do you get eight years? And then that's just mind blowing. But also the fact that he writes songs every day. He's like, Mm. I'm putting some sugar in my coffee right now because it makes me feel good and all this sort of stuff. But then when he has to sit down and actually write a a song for something specific that has like weight to it, he can't do it. He like crumbles under the pressure. I found that really interesting as well. Like what it says about us where, you know, you can sit down and do something you love every day of the week, but the second there's an ounce of pressure on it, then suddenly it becomes yeah. a different animal. I thought they really represented that well. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Is there anything else guys want to say before we head to the scores? Well, I would like to talk about the music briefly because I mean, sure. so, so much of this, so much of this film hangs on this, like this one missing piece, this one missing song. And they really build mm. that up and they build attention uh, as well as telling you it's his 30th birthday, maybe 500 times. Uh, they, they build up the pressure <laughs> of this song and the whole, the whole thing is, is hinging on it. 
and uh, I'm actually just gonna, yeah, come to your senses is, is the, the song. And I have to say that when they finally pay that off, it was like, okay, you know what? Lin-Manuel Miranda knew he had this killer song to kind of to hang it all off. And there are maybe three or four other ones that will stick in your head and they're, that are really good. Um, but it's, it's come to your senses is that pinnacle Broadway, like massive big number. And I think it's, it's really well written and it's, it, it hangs together beautifully and the harmonies are lovely. I, I wouldn't really, I actually think the, the girlfriend was the better singer versus Vanessa Hudgens. Just the way, the way it was mixed, the way it was performed. It seemed that way to mm. me. I don't know about anyone else, but I just thought like the music needs to speak for itself. And, you know, if, if you get chills or if, if it works at any point, then the whole musical works. So I have to regard this as a success. I completely okay. agree. I, I, you've actually said at the very beginning, you're like, if a musical can give you those like hair raising moments, then you feel like it's been a success. And I, I literally, when the credits were rolling and you kind of see, you know, you see the real life uh, Larson and stuff. I was just like buzzing, you know, I was genuinely buzzing. I thought like the, the style and the structure and the music, like you said, how it, how it rose to that final moment. And yeah, it was kind of haphazard but like super excitable. And yeah, I, I was buzzing. I was, I, I loved it. I thought it was a real success. I, I can't wait to see what Lin-Manuel does next. And I know like... Encanto. Well, I know what you mean. Like, but like, like directorially, because this isn't like, if you think about this as a first film, right? You think about people's debut films, like this is a really strange one. Um, we've we've I, had yeah, a few... You know it. This year's had some amazing first films. We've The Harder They Fall, uh, James Samuel film, which is on Netflix, is brilliant. Um, Reggie Yates' films, uh, Pirates, is supposed to be awesome. Rebecca Rebecca Hall did Passing, that's supposed to be a really good film. And it's maybe we should get just get over ourselves and say, you know, the directorial, the directorial debut of some of these guys can be generally astonishing. Uh, I'm interested to see what Lynn does next. And um, I think he's got, he's, he's generally one of the people that has the whole world at his feet at the moment. Um, genuinely genuinely because if he can direct and write music and you know also saw the first time i i'd heard about hamilton a few a while ago and then i saw him in um one season of kirby enthusiasm where he's going toe-to-toe with with um with larry david yeah with larry david he's going toe-to-toe with larry david and i thought hold on this guy's got some he's got some move about him and that's what turned him on to hamilton so he's got a lot about him um then manuel branda so He's got a very, very bright future. I love that. Curb your enthusiasm brought you to Hamilton. <laughs> it generally, That's genuinely the way. did. That's the way. <laughs> we haven't mentioned Andrew Garfield in this. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he carries the entire thing. Yeah, I know. I totally. I mean, I, I must admit, um, I've never been much of a Garfield fan. Um, I'm not talking about the cat, but I think... <laughs> there is a cat in it, though. There is a cat in it. There was a turning point. I think it was around about uh, Scorsese's silence. He had a run of films where I was like, wow, you know what? This guy actually, he has something to him. And and since then, I've just found him super interesting. And yeah, this this is astonishing. Like, I remember when he first started singing, I was like, that can't be him, is it? Like, is he actually <laughs> that good? And it, yeah, it's him. He, he's, a, he's a song and dance man. And um, yeah, it's, I was It's really a bit annoying though, isn't it? When it's someone who you think's already got some talent can sing. I can do it in another thing really well. And you're just like, fucking hell, you bastard. 
Well, he's been um, he's been in films for like the last twenty years or something. Like people don't mm. think he's been around that long because they think like Spider Man was his first film or something. But like, yeah, the guy's been around forever. And and this is his first singing role, which is astonishing. Like it, that that is right out the gate. He has shown that he can do this. And um, I think there was there was a, an interview with Lin Manuel. He he said that uh, like he had to ask someone to vouch for him, and and they were like, you know, can he really sing? And they said, oh, he has the voice of an angel. And then uh, they, they they rang up uh, Andrew Garfield straight away afterwards. And they're like, "Can you sing?" <laughs> um, but, I don't think I don't think he can play. He can't play the piano. Though, no, there's a, there's a lot of insert shots. I think that's very clear that he, that yeah. those aren't his hands. But you forgive him that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm still a bit annoyed because even in La La Land, you know, you could see at least some points him and the piano connecting. <laughs> I think they could have done that like five times, maybe, just to give some more realism. Piano realism. Uh, you want more of that? Exactly. Yeah. Obviously, as we record this, Stephen Sondheim has passed away a couple of weeks ago as we record this, and that's one reason I was quite keen to see. This. I don't know much about Stephen Sondheim, um, and as this goes out as well, West Side Story is in the cinemas or coming into the cinemas as the Spielberg version. I've not seen the original version, but I know this has been a big kind of story. So I just wanted to. Have, no one here seems to be particularly musical theatre fans, but any thoughts on Stephen Sondheim? One tip that I did find was that um, the answer message that he left uh, was actually Stephen Sondheim, not not Bradley Whitford. Is that um, right? So it wasn't really. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Oh, so. That's the kind of thing you would keep, wouldn't it? <laughs> You'd hang on to it. I was yeah. going to say that that's actually testament to Bradley Whitford's like um, performance then, because I didn't notice mm. that at all. So he he nailed the the cadence. Mm. So no one knows about Stephen Sondheim. Oh man, I I love Stephen Sondheim. Man. Yeah, like I do. Guy, guys, a genius. Like yeah, he was. What, what was the um uh, the demon barber of? Oh yeah, oh, Sweeney yeah. Todd, the Tim Burton one. That's Sondheim, isn't yep. it? Yeah, that's Sondheim. <laughs> and Company. I love that scene in um uh, Marriage Story where Adam Driver sings that uh, that track. Oh, I'm not going to embarrass myself by doing it now, but um, no worries. It's very powerful. Well, on that, guys, let's head to the scores hello i'm sam pay and i'm martin zotzorstwick and we are the two hosts of a podcast called song, song by, by song, song where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist tom waits uh, you might know him for his gravelly voice <coughs> very nice his appearance in films but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues jazz and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music so we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. They are always out of five. You may have decimal places and we will start with you, please, Joe, with your recommendability. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we, we had a bit of a, a range of, um, of responses in the room. And I think that, like that reflects the recommendability of this this film. I think if you're big into musical theatre, you're going to be watching this anyway. So it's really it's it's trying to pull in other people to watch it. Um, I'd say it's it's a pretty narrow uh, audience, to be honest with you. So I, I would I would 
I, I would struggle to give it maybe a 3.5. Uh, I'd say that that's even maybe even slightly generous for that film. Ben? Yes, uh, I agree. I think um, you have to have at least a pretty strong interest in musical theatre to, to want to go into this. So I, I'd probably say three is fair. Helen? Yeah, I did not enjoy this. <laughs> I think it was, I think it's exactly what you said though about the songs and I, I yeah, they they didn't resonate with me and that's, that's, that's just me. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give it a three because there are people who, who will love this. And I, I guess maybe if you're kind of like a big Andrew Garfield fan, then even if you don't like musicals, then, you know, he, he kind of gives, gives something different in this. So, um, yeah, a three from me. I agree there. If it, if it was someone else, it, it would be a very different film. But it, this is something special because of him. Um, I'm going to 3.8 because I thought it was, I thought it was lovely. I think I do think it will be hard to recommend to a fair few people there. Uh, repeat viewing score, Joe. Uh, I probably won't be watching this again. Uh, so I'm going to go with a, a 1.5 on the repeat viewing. So that's, I mean, that's that's a pretty damning indictment. What I will do, and I have already done, is listen to the cast recording because some of that is incredible okay okay i didn't i haven't done that yet i need to get the big cans on and uh have a listen to it um i did really enjoy 30 30 90 at the start it was, mm. it was a way to get mm. you into the film uh ben repeat mean score i really want to see rent now um but i've got it on very good authority that the film is utter utter toilet <laughs> um so like, I, I might have to shell out for a production somewhere um, I'd prefer to see Superbia, I think. Um, I will watch this again down the line, I'm sure, but not for a long, long time. So I'll maybe give it a two. Helen? I'm highly unlikely to go back to this one, I think. So a one from me. I'm going to go for a two. Not, I don't think I watched it that much, but I started watching with uh, my wife and then we got about half, work, half an hour in and then we had to go on separate baby duty. So I just had to forge on without her. Uh, so if it's the time maybe over Christmas that she wants to pick up from the 30 minutes in, then I'll watch it with her. And that's what that's for. But otherwise, I don't think this, this will be a big, uh, big one for me. Small screen score. Joe? I actually think small screen sort of suits this. Um, I think there wouldn't be much to be gained. Maybe the speaker system might improve the, the whole thing in, in the cinema. So I, like small screen for me is a five. I think especially because I watched this in multiple sittings, it, it suited that. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you were in the cinema, you might be a bit trapped. <laughs> ben. <laughs> yeah, I think most musicals are made for the big screen, you know, that big screen experience. And I don't think this was made for that. I think this very much had Netflix in mind and it's supposed to be in your home and it's supposed to be quite intimate. So I don't think it loses anything. Um, so I'd probably give it a four. Helen. Interesting. See, I started watching it on the iPad and that was way too small. And it was a little bit better on TV. But I kind of think that had I have seen it at the cinema, I would have been a bit more involved in it and felt, I don't know, maybe because obviously it's meant to be performed on the stage in front of people. And that's kind of, you know, you can't have any distractions there and you get more caught up in the moment. So maybe watching it at home and I could be distracted. I don't know. I think for me, small screen, probably not the best environment, but that said, like, I think it's doing fairly well on Netflix and it's kind of interesting that it's gone straight there. Mm. I assume it must've had some kind of run because they'll be wanting presumably nominations for 
Garfield. I don't really know about the politics of releasing, but it kind of feels strange that it's not had a release because this is the kind of film that possibly could become like a Greatest Showman kind of thing. And the- I don't think it's as strong as Greatest Showman. I think in terms I don't of know, this- though. It's kind of got... That's a long shot. <laughs> well, maybe not, but it's it's kind of got that potential to bring out people who maybe wouldn't normally go to the cinema, maybe. I so- think Netflix literally said to Lin-Manuel, we'll give you whatever money you want. Will you do something do for thing. us? And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll give you my film. I think that's probably what, I mean, I don't know 100%, but I think that's probably what happened. Probably exactly the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> What's your small screen score, sorry, Helen? Four and a half. Uh, I'm going to go for five because I think apart from you know, Joe said about the speakers um, I think it works great on a small screen engagement score Joe um, I was reasonably engaged I suppose um, like because it's got that ticking clock element and because you know they've ratcheted up the, the, the peril and you know he might not succeed and he ultimately doesn't succeed with the musical I thought that like I was reasonably engaged but as I say I watched it over two sittings, so I'd, I'd have to say around a three. Um, it's it's not the most engaging thing. Like, as I say, a half hour plot in two and a half hours is, you know, very common for musicals and not my cup of tea. Uh, ben? So the engagement story, is that for your first viewing or on repeat viewings or? Just, just in general, where you, when you're watching it, do you feel? Well, I just, I always get confused because like, I mean, for the first viewing, I'm not going to turn it off. You know, I'm going to watch it to the end no matter what. But, um, mm. uh, you know, if I was going to watch it again, I might watch the first half an hour and then just skip out, you know. And so I don't know. I'll, I'll just go for the middle, maybe a 2.5 then. Helen? Not high in the old engagement. Um, didn't help that I kind of did a little bit of reading beforehand and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know how this goes. Um, uh, yeah, I had, I had to watch it in, in two sittings as well. So two and a half. I'm going to go higher. I'm going to go for for a four. I thought I was really interested to see how you know, torture genius aside, was he going to get that one song? Of course, he's going to get that one song. I'm sure that that storyline was made to add a bit more tension than it was. Was he going to get to thirty? Um, it's not that big a deal against thirty. Was anyone else depressed by that? Where he was like, <laughs> "My life is over." You're like, "Hold on, that was, yeah, was like, almost a decade yeah. ago for me." What's going on? Yeah. Between Bo Burnham and uh, and uh, Jonathan <laughs> Larson, it's a big year for people writing musicals about turning thirty. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like we still need so more young, musicals of people turning seventy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, when I'm sixty four, the musical. There you go. So yeah, Gears of Score four point five. I I enjoyed. It. I was I was I was kind of propelled by the storyline, and I did want to see where. Where it's all going. Uh, that gives us an overall score of 3.17500. Never than I thought it was going to be, but you know. Did all right. Fair to middling. Okay, guys, let's head to Twitter. Uh, just for everyone who's listening, do follow us on Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod. Uh, one of the main reasons to follow us is because we put a tweet out before we go into recording saying something like this We're reviewing Tick Tick Boom with Benji Box and Shy Guys Pod. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts and the score out of five for an on air shout out on FlixWatcher. Uh, so we had a couple of tweets here. Joe, do you want to take us out with the first one? So a shout out to the Contrarians at Contrarian Prime. Four out of five, loved it, which I expected to since I also love Rent, though not its weak film adaptation. Fully behind any campaigning to reward Andrew Garfield's performance here. And I, I second that. Ben? Serendipitously, uh, the other one is from <laughs> Sun Double Deep, the podcast that I, uh, I started with Daryl many, many years ago. 
Um, they've put mad love for Tick Tick Boom. Andrew Garfield is such a delight in this. Four stars. So yeah, more love for it. Well, awesome. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Can you tell us where we can find you online? And we'll say goodbye to all of the listeners. You can find me, Joe, at, at ShiteGuysToPod. Or uh, if you want to hear my voice, you, uh, I should be in the upcoming series of The Wire Stripped, which you can follow at The Wire Stripped with Kobe and Dave. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as at BenjiBox. That's BenjiBox spelled with a Y. Um, and if you want to hear more about East Asian cinema, you can catch us on the Third Window Film podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk about Tick, Tick, Boom. Well, for me, at least. <laughs> Hello, <not> so much. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say, like, thanks for, like, taking a risk on it. Because presumably you hadn't seen it before you picked no. it. No, and so I, I, I knew I knew I was going to, and ye probably would too. But uh, again, apologies, Helen, for subjecting you to this. <laughs> <laughs> I know I really wanted to see it, and I, I always I always find it um, a, a brave move to bring on a film that you've never seen before because it could go anyway. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood audio tell them flicks what she sent you you just heard a stripped media production